to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening and making commitment to your learning. We hope that you are doing well in this, um, <laughs> depending on where you are, cold January 2022. We are your hosts. I'm Yvonne Brandenburg, joined by the um, <laughs> chilly oh. blanket <laughs> wrapped Jordan Porter. Seriously, <laughs> my nose is so cold right now. <laughs> like it's like it's red. <laughs> Dude, you guys, it, poor Jordan, her, her heating is out and apparently it's cold there. So she's got like her blanket and a fiber <laughs> going and a space heater and some candles. It's, it's sad Panda. Cause you guys know how warm she likes to be, but speaking of really cold, <laughs> we are joint, not that she is cold, but she is cool. in the cold part of the world. <laughs> We're joined this week by Tabitha Kusara. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> uh, Miss Tabitha. Okay, so I had to write down your alphabet soup, and you're going to have to tell us what the heck it means. So she's an RBT. We got that one. She's a CCBC and certified a certified cat behavior consultant. Oh, nice. Okay. And a KPA CTP. Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. Damn. That's, that's a mouthful. I know that's the initials they give you with it though. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. (laughs) So if you can't tell, she's got some behavior stuff up her sleeve. And so, you know, we wanted, we wanted to talk someone smarter about behavior than Jordan. We wanted a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, yeah, I got fear-free certified. I don't think Jordan has yet, but Jordan, Jordan's good with like some behavioral stuff. Cause you know, as a vet tech, we are. Um, but so, uh, Tabitha, you, this is really cool. I just, I have to throw this out there. Uh, Tabitha does chirps and chatter and we'll put the link in the show notes, um, which is a really cool resource for technicians as well as pet owners, because you do behavioral stuff as your full-time gig, right? Yeah. I have my own business, which is trips and chatter and I see cats and dogs. So I have the pleasure of dealing with fun, severe behavior issues that veterinarian professionals don't want to, which is fine. It's a team effort. Um, so I work with a lot of awesome vets, um, helping to, cause there's a lot of underlying medical issues that cause or contribute behavior issues. So most of my cases I am working with both the client, the animal and their veterinary staff, because usually there's referrals indicated right. uh, for <laughs> internal medicine and all those. Cause again, I get to see lots of cool, fun things and help with interesting puzzles. And then I get to consult with a lot of vet clinics to help teach them and implement gentle control and fear-free handling and all that lovely stuff that I know a lot of us are new to, like, I don't handle animals the way I was taught. I no, don't do no. any, to be honest, I don't do <laughs> the restraints. I would, the two restraints I was taught, I haven't done in over six years. Yeah, I know. Um, Actually, Jordan, and I have definitely talked about that. Cause I was taught the scruff and stretch. Yep. Yep. Um, for dogs, 
well, the hand around the neck, a hand around the belly, and basically holding them tight. And if they move, even though they're live creatures, guys, uh, hold them tighter. We hold them tighter. That's what we as technicians. And unfortunately, some technicians are still being taught that, but we like to focus on the positive. It's getting better. Call it practicing vet med because we're always improving Mm -hmm. and learning, like with wonderful podcasts like this. So, um, (laughs) thankfully, you know, when I talk about how I don't scruff cats, I get less of a like guttural reaction now (laughs) than I did. Oh my God. It's so true. I think, yeah, it's become like a anthem. Yes. In vet med, no scruffing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like compared to, or like they'll be fine. I hear that so much less, which warms my heart. Um, because they won't be, but I used to hear that a lot more, which I respected. I just addressed that concern. But I as a behavior person, fine is a bad word. It's way worse than the other word that you guys might be associating with the F word. Um, it's called the freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And I can't remember which movie that was from. So. Oh my God, I haven't heard that. I love that. Oh, yeah, yeah, so- my mom says that to me all the time. Cause she's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm fine. And oh then my God, I'm stealing that. Say that. And I'm like, yes, exactly. I can't believe the behavior person didn't know that one. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what movie that was from. Oh, you're gonna have my to husband like, and I like say it all the time. Theater. Yeah. Because yeah. I hate that word because we both know if a client, if I was calling for an update on a surgery, reco- whatever it is, I used to accept that answer, you know, nine years ago. And now I'm like, yeah, that client did not know they weren't aware what pain looks like. So they, that dog on tramadol does appear fine, but let's be honest. That's a whole nother soapbox party. Um, we've had that soapbox. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the pain episode the girl. Yeah. We soapboxed it <laughs> or like, Hey, I'll just scruff this cat or I'll just uh, throw a nylon muzzle on this dog and they'll be fine. Now we know not only will they not be fine, but it's actually not safe for us. And it's going to worsen in most cases, their emotional and sometimes their physical physiological changes. Uh, it's going to just worsen that. So they won't be fine. But again, I don't hear that half as much. So it's, yeah. Well, and I think part of that too is, and this ties back a little bit to your background a little, right? I think there is much more of a focus on professional behavioral people, right? Like people with actual certifications and veterinary knowledge. So like for you, I'm going to say it because girl, this is like huge. Um, you, you have, you're in process of getting your BTS and I, and I, I know in my heart that you will get it because your application was accepted. So Mm -hmm. we're, we're getting there. So like maybe in like, cause when is it in October? So like in a year we'll be like BTS behavior. (laughs) Vision board. Like that's a thing people say, I'll put it on my vision board. Yeah, you definitely should. Um, but I think that's a huge part too, is that, um, we have things like our VTS and behavior and the fear free, I think fear free training, is a huge game changer for our industry because it's something tangible for everyone in the clinic. Like it's not, I think it's it's made it way more accessible Mm -hmm. Um, because the thing is, I always joke, I am working on making shirts as a joke, but like fear free is a lot more than peanut butter and trazodone. Oh my God. Seriously. Scream it guys. Say it with me. Um, But (laughs) I'm not going to fault like 
because I'm a fear-free speaker. I work with fear-free. I'm a fear-free certification practice consultant. Like I do a lot mm. of things with them, but I think as making it accessible to people and starting off to shape new behaviors with a human or an animal, we should start small. So I can't be like, like the way I taught five years ago and the way I teach now, very different, new yeah. handling techniques, all that stuff. So I think the eight hour online at your leisure, it just makes it so much more accessible and starts to plant seeds. Yes. Change yeah. the narrative of what a lot of us were taught. Like, wait, you don't start touching the most painful thing. Nope. We don't nope. start with the chief complaint. <laughs> we, we end with that. Cause if you, the dog has a sick air infection and it's like super painful, we were taught to look at that first, but now you want to assess the rest of the dog and draw blood. Like guys, let's yeah. start with the, the most painful thing last. And if indicated, like if I'm going to take radiographs and I'm more concerned about an orthopedic injury, we're going to sedate yeah. and pain meds. Like yeah. a lot of these things that again, I'm not like, even joking. Like when I start, cause again, I'm old. So I started <laughs> that med in, I think it was Oh three. And we still had, I call them the cowboy vet, right? We had that vet. I call them mom and pop vets. That's so funny. <laughs> well, I worked in a practice and not everybody was like that. So yeah. it was just like, but I call him the cowboy vet. Cause it was like, he definitely, like we had arguments about giving pain medications and he's like, no, no, no. I'm not giving the pain med. Cause that just keeps them quieter in the cage. And then it was like, Ugh, you know, and the other vets in the clinic really got on him about it. And so he finally like relented to us, like giving his patients pain meds. And now like, that is not even like, I, I couldn't imagine that in a clinic. Right. Like I feel right, like right. unless they're leftover <laughs> old school cowboy vets, most of them now, especially, you know, new vets, they've been trained that the, you know, physiologic effects of pain are huge. So thankfully <laughs> our doctors are more receptive to us saying, Hey, this patient's painful. It's making it more difficult for, for everything restraint and all that. So, you know, I think that plays into our conversation a and lot I think today. Behavior actually plays, well, obviously I'm biased. I think behavior is everything, but <laughs> I think behavior plays a huge part in that because I, as a technician or as a veterinarian or as a client, I can say like this cat's recovering or this dog is recovering from surgery. These things are happening. I used to hear things like it's because of the decks or it's because actually mm. we need data. And I'm going to tell you what I'm observing via body language. And that is signs of pain, or maybe the dog has to urinate. And some of these things that are baseline that we forget, but so yeah. many times, like now there's pain score. Like, I think there should be body language and pain scores for every patient. Every time, um, I teach Ooh. shelters, this, if shelters can do it, guys, that med can do it. <laughs> um, so, because if, if you're like, I feel like this dog is painful, you have to, exp we have gut feelings and I'm not saying those aren't important, but we have to explain the why, right? Like mm -hmm. this dog. And then once you give the pain med, every animal's different. Just like every, like aspirin doesn't touch some humans, you know, they're like, right. dude, you're funny. And aspirin, if I take an aspirin, it's like a, I do it once a year. Like I, <laughs> it's a big, it helps a lot. So every animal's different too. So I think assessing their body language also helps you as a technician better advocate and say, I'm observing this, this, and this, these are signs of this, this, and this, 
if you don't believe me, because we're put in those situations sometimes, here's right. some research, here's some facial pain scores, here's this, here's this. So we have a lot of that, those tools that are tools as resources that we used to not have. Right. And I think because Jordan and I, we've talked about um, the Colorado State pain score, right? Love it. Um, and I think the new one that's more accessible is the, the, what is it? The Glasgow feline grimace. Is yeah. that what it is? an app now you guys, I know I, uh, I found that app and I put it in our membership, but I will definitely, I'll put it in the show notes because it's, that's awesome. a game changer. It's awesome. And it's great because you can give it to clients. So the client can have this app and be able to like you know, cause we talk about quality of life with clients and, and all that stuff. And I think giving them a tool to be able to assess that is huge. And I keep like looking at my cats and I'm like, Ooh, oh, what no. pain looks like. <laughs> that's the, I mean, I see undiagnosed pain in probably 50% or more of my cat cases and probably 30% or more of my dog, which are mm. obviously contributing or causing behavioral issues, which is why I'm called. And again, I, there's, I tell the client, like, even the best vet ever. And in some cases there are where we recommend a second opinion, right? But mm. even when your vet's doing the best thing they, they can, it can be really difficult to assess these things. But I think as a field, we need to be better about identifying and sharing with clients what pain looks like, because all my clients, every vet visit can, can they have two to three, one to two minute videos of their cat's gait their cat eating or playing as well as their dog. Mm. This has been a game changer for vets mm. because I observe their gait and I see like, I'm concerned about a million things and it's never been diagnosed again, not maliciously because most vets don't have the cat walk up and down the hallway to observe their gait. And the right, clients, most cats won't walk up and, well, down exactly, the and that's appropriate. I tell the client to be fair. That's great that your vet's examining the cat and the carrier. <laughs> Right. But we need to provide that vet with the information to accurately diagnose your cat or dog. And then also when we prescribe the pain meds, guys, hey, Rimadil, cool for the dog, but you're just refilling it and not asking. That's a weird thing to me. Like you're not like, I know we check blood work, right? But Sometimes. we're not actually checking like, how's their gait now? Are they playing more? Are they resting in their favorite places? Like no one's, so I'm like, how do we even know if it's working? Like, it's really weird to me that that's not a more common thing, which I mean, now that you're saying all that and, and, and you guys can tell me, I don't know. Cause I'm, I, it's just, again, my, my experience, which was a long time ago, I don't remember having like a lecture or, or really an in-depth conversation on how to recognize pain when I was in tech school, like, I don't yeah. remember that. Definitely not. And you're, and I, you're definitely right. So I, I always joke. Cause obviously I work with dogs. I work with cats. Everyone say cat cats pain is subtle. I don't think it's subtle. Uh, it, it's, I think we just me. don't know exactly. how to see it. And I think even when I go to a lecture, I think language really matters. And as a veterinary professional, which is why I said cat pain is not subtle. And it's something I'm going to keep saying. Cause if I hear that in one more lecture, it's not subtle. We just haven't been identified how to, it screams at you. Just like, I think yeah, it's, it's like for internal medicine text, because we get this reference. <laughs> it's when you first start watching an ultrasound and you're like, what the hell are you looking at? That <laughs> looks like the snowflakes on like my TV. And then all of a sudden your brain goes, bloop, 
and it switches over and all of a sudden you can see all the pretty details. That is what cat pain is. Yeah. And I wasn't caught like, to be fair, I think my, my journey into behavior realistically is what made me, I am so much more aware of every behavior change, every sign of pain. And I think I wasn't taught like my, my observations of pain in cats and dogs were, were, was definitely different and a lot more limited eight, nine years ago. And I was, Mm. I mean, I was an RVT at that time. So I definitely agree that I think that that's something that a lot of us aren't even given really the opportunity to learn how, and we learn on the job. And obviously a cat vocalizing can indicate pain, but at that point, just like with a dog, that's not even every, cause some animals become stoic. So the, uh, it's like, it's like behavior, right? Like that aggressive patient or whatever. Yeah. Cause they're snarling and snapped at you and they missed, you're not that fast technician. That was a warning. If they want to bite you, they will. So let's not right. that please. But, um, but like, it's the same thing. Like we identified the red, like if I was like ladder of regression, but the green mm-hmm. and the yellow, we weren't really taught. We were just taught on the job with the red. And then I'm like, no wonder people are fearful of handling cats. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't mean, I, yeah, I, oh God, it's I hard because I understand, yeah. I, I, I understand. Cause I meet a lot of veterinary professionals who, again, I'm not coming from a judgmental area. I, their learning history matters. Like if you were viciously attacked by a specific type of dog, it's behavior. Like I understand that you might have a higher heart rate. It's involuntary. You might have a higher, but we need to start talking about these things. And I meet a lot of veterinary professionals who are fearful of cats. Um, and I think a big part of that is because we were taught a fairly outdated restraint that causes and escalates fear, anxiety, and pain because the stretching, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And we were taught scruff and stretch. And then if they move, do it harder. So we were really not set up for success. So I understand why most technicians learning histories are like cats are mean cats bite out of nowhere, which those aren't real things, but I understand from an empathetic standpoint. Yeah. Why most people are afraid of handling cats. And they see my videos of me doing no restraint, like that cat, I get told all the time that cat's going to bite your face. I love you guys, but cats don't just bite you in the face. Like there's signs, there's right. a lot of signs, <laughs> but I don't hear it with dogs. Like I'll do a minimal to zero restraint blood draw or nail trim on a dog. And I never hear that feedback. I'll share the same thing with a cat and people are coming from a place of concern. I appreciate that, but text general public everybody is like that cat's going to bite. And I'm like, that's so, it's been interesting. It just shows me how, as like a field, we've been conditioned that cats are just these creatures that like bite out of nowhere and like are just mysterious and aloof, which none of those things are true. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, there is, there is that badge of honor, right. Of being like the cat wrangler. And I'm like, can we, can we not, can we not glorify the cat wrangler, but can we glorify the cat whisperer? Yes. Language matters. (laughs) Because the cat whispers are amazing. They're just like, let's take it down like 10 notches. And, and, you know, and I was super fortunate because the girl that I worked with Sarah, and I'm going to call you out and I know you don't listen very frequently, but I'm going to say this anyways. Sarah was amazing because she, I, I joked all the time that she was a cat. (laughs) 
And I was like, but the two of us could like handle and do things with cats that most of the other teams in the hospital just couldn't do. And it'd be these cats that always have this red dot, they're extreme caution, do not handle without like boxing down or that's a whole other subject. Yeah, don't woo your trigger and tablet down stuff. Thankfully we don't box down anymore, but like we would see stuff from like the primary vet that's like came in for a blood draw box down and we'd be like, what? And then we'd get this cat out and like do all the like good cat things, which we'll, we'll talk about in a few minutes. And the cat would be like totally fine and chill. And we'd be able to do everything that we needed to do. We'd be able to do an ultrasound on this cat because we watched their behavior. Right? Like, you, I think you, that's so huge. Mental control and handling. Cause people want me to, I wish you guys, I joke. I have a magic wand that I bring to clients houses. Cause I'm like, magic doesn't exist. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I tell that text the same thing in vets, like, you're not going to be able to handle animals like I am tomorrow. Just like the first time you drew right. blood, you weren't great at the first spay took a lot longer as a veterinarian than it does now. Handling is a skill yeah. and we aren't taught it and we don't treat it as a skill in our field or shelter med, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I think it's all about, like you said, assessing the animal. I say, check yourself. So assess yourself, assess the animal, and you have to be flexible with your handling techniques yeah. So based on that individual animal's preference. And that's like you said, it's all about watching body language. I think it's fun, like critically thinking about handling and I'm changing what I'm doing in my brain every five seconds. And I have yeah. like 70 different restraints I can change to. But I, so many of us have been conditioned that you do one restraint. If they move, you pull them tighter. We weren't really set up for success to critic. I know it sounds silly, but like we should be critically thinking when we are handling. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Not just like when we're like, um, well, let's, let's talk other- about some of those basics. Cause I mean, I think, I think that's a good place to, to kind of build, right. Is because, you know, the scruff and stretch and the whole dogs even tighter and get five people on a dog for a nail trim. Let's call that last century. Cool. <laughs> last l- millennia. <laughs> So what, you know, give us, give us some basics that we can. So again, this is where like, I think the environment and the way we approach the animal plays a huge part. Honestly, I, most of the animals I work with, which you have to realize the animals I'm working with have been fired from veterinary clinics. Unfortunately, due to my background, I deal with mostly severe cases. So a lot of fear, aggression and things like that. And by the time I'm doing the procedure or or drawing the blood or whatever it is, their FAS is fear, anxiety, and stress score is usually one to two. And if it, if it's a super painful procedure, or if we're doing blood work, x-rays, blah, 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 we planned ahead and we have Mm -hmm. sedation on board. If they have FAS four or five things like fear, anxiety, and stress. So I think the reason why that is though, is because I approach the animals considerately that's a huge thing. Like not looming. Some of these things like sound like common sense, but I'll be honest, you guys, I was not doing this. No, Um, we weren't taught. (laughs) Yeah, we were, I was taught. And I tell vets when I'm lecturing, I was like, I love you guys, but liability, if if, obviously it's better for us and the patients, but liability, Hey, there's a dog in the corner. You have the tech go into the small space and reach. That is like, do you want to get sued? If that's your motive, whatever your motivation is, but you're going to get sued that tech is going to get bit in the face. 
uh, because that dog is hiding in the corner. I, they used to tell me to pull the dog out from a small space, which was now that I know more, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was like, so not safe. So now, for example, if I had a fearful dog, I'm going to, or a fearful cat, I'm going to obtain my history. If the cat is exhibiting various signs of stress and fear, I'm going to keep them in the carrier and not take them out numerous times because it's a time waster, but also, oh my gosh, does it escalate stress? And if I have a dog, that's a little fearful, I'm going to let them explore the room check things out. I might toss a few treats. They may be too fearful to eat, but that's data, right? So that tells us that next time if they eat, okay, either they're feeling better or their anxiety is reduced. Again, it's data. And then I'll, if I, once the doctor starts as the exam, if the dog's still scared, I'm going to have the client walk the dog to the middle of the room where it's not in a cornered space. Mm. <laughs> like if your doctor was like, I'm going to draw your blood, but go in this closet you would, you're, you would have higher respiratory rate and blood pressure and all that stuff. But so like us going to the dog in the corner, it's just like things like that. So have an open space, consider that when you're creating your exam rooms. And even if you have a really small exam room, maybe I'm going to take this fearful animal, especially dog to a bigger area. I'm going to examine them on the floor or where they're comfortable. So like, for example, the cat in the carrier, right. Or the, the cat in the sink. I've examined a lot of cats on laps. So wherever they already are, or I'm not going to lift the 50 pound dog on (laughs) a table. Not again, not only is that not good for us, the dog feels weird and like all over the place, the tech can barely hold them because I'm five, three, like it's just, (laughs) but I also understand that some vets have knee issues and don't want to crawl on the floor. Then we're going to use small stools not humongous chairs and roll to the dog. Little things that you're like, oh my gosh, makes such a big difference. So just not looming over them, allowing them some time, identifying their body language, having everything ready prior. Like I have a bath caddy uh, that has butterfly catheters, topical lidocaine, Kongs, silver vine. Like I, I just have it all in there. Like all the techs have their favorite pens. I have my bath caddy and- you don't touch it. Um, and it gets refilled. Um, so being again, so you're not going in and out of the room numerous times and you're more likely to remember all your saying it's not, it doesn't just help the animals, but I think the way we approach them is huge. Avoiding like, hi puppy, like I get the pibble super stoked. And then I'm like, oh, why doesn't he want to sit still for this? And and we get, and then we start holding them tight and I'm like, whoa, guys, come on. Like, let's just use a smash bowl. That's the other thing. Like food, a smash bowl is just like a metal bowl that we have in fat practices. You smash like GI low fat peanut butter and for excitable pit bulls who normally their physical and mental needs aren't being met at home. Um, so they're just excitable and want to move me using restraint on them is going to make them want to move more. So I could just use like a smash bowl to move the dog while with a gentle control restraint, like a, I do a lot of uh, collar holds and, and things like that. Um, when it comes to dogs or a C hold where you just hold, that's how I hold most animals to be fair, where you basically, I'm trying to describe it without showing it. Um, basically you put your hand, the top of your thumbs, like near their ear, and then your hands kind of splay out and go onto their chin. So you have control of their neck and the rest of their body, 
Um, that's how I hold most cats and dogs, but I'm not using force or pressure. That's the huge thing that, cause so many of us have been like conditioned to just even like just any restraint we're using force and pressure, which causes the animal more, more stress. So I think setting up the environment to be less stressful, what can we control? Like a lot of people are like, I have no control. Yes, you do. You can, if you have a really fearful dog, I'm going to, I'm going to schedule them at the last appointment before lunch or the last appointment of the day. Mm. They're going to sit in the car, which has already, I've talked to the client about making it low stress. There's classical music playing. It's nice and warm or nice and cool, depending on the weather. And they may have a thunder shirt on the cat's carrier may be covered. Again, we're utilizing all these tools. And then I just call you when we have a room ready. Let's just avoid that lobby stress, y'all. The dog goes over threshold in the lobby. Ooh, yeah, lobbies, Jeez. right? Like I'm not opposed to lobbies, and I know with COVID things are changing, but I have my client, all my clients. I tell these things, these basic things, do to work with their vet, and the amount of cats and dogs who now arrive at the clinic with FAS one or two is mm. crazy. So I think obviously handling is important. But I think using considerate approach, assessing the animal's body language and just kind of setting up the environment, like I'm going to have a non-slip mat, you know, if, if I'm drawing blood from a cat who has, who's missing a front leg, I'm going to draw from a medial saphenous because with her jugular, she's not going to feel stabilized Mm. with her front leg. She's not going to just using these kind of like, or if I have a senior cat, like if I have a super senior, an 18 year old cat. I'll be honest, I usually draw, they rest on my shoulders and someone comes around and we use a butterfly catheter and lidocaine and draw from the cephalic because I don't stretch cats out. I'm sure you guys have figured that out, but even that small stretch with a medial saphenous, if you have an 18 year old cat, you guys, I'm just going to be honest. They got off brightest. Yeah. They got it all over. They got it back there. It's going to hurt. So I'm considering all of these things when I'm choosing blood draw placement, all, all of this stuff. So the way, well, we and can- I think too, like, just cause I have an old man <laughs> and he yeah. definitely has arthritis. I think something to kind of consider is making sure the surface type, like if you have an older animal, give them padding, <laughs> like don't just put them on like the metal table and then expect them to have arthritis and be comfortable for that blood draw, like give them some cushion to take some of that pressure off. Um, and, and minimal. <laughs> you know, yeah, like non-slip surface yeah. and then a cozy, like take a towel. I have a towel warmer, which oh. some of the clinics I work with have guys. I've had towel cats warmer. who, oh my gosh, like I've worked on all these other things and we use either a heated cat bed. Like my cat goes, I highly recommend having your clients bring their cats and dogs beds from home for their vet visit. Mm. My cat's heated cat bed comes, but I had one cat I was working with who was fired from a clinic and we were working on victory visits, which is behavior modification to help change their emotional state about how they feel about the vet clinic and handling. And we just were trying different things along with gentle control and all this other stuff. And I happened to examine her on the hot dog that we use for anesthesia. That cat's FAS went from five to two. And I'm so, okay, hold on. Cause you've said it a couple of times now. So FAS, so fear, anxiety, stress, stress, right. and it's a one through five, one through five. Five, five being the worst five. Yeah. Five indicating like at this point there's physiological changes happening. Okay. And obviously mental changes as well. And at right. that point, 
safety of the staff is involved. We're more likely to see fear aggression. So usually we recommend sedation or you know, a plan, of course, a handling plan. And then FAS zero to one is like green, wiggly, loose. FAS two is like one to two displacement behaviors. So like that dachshund might be holding up his leg and lip licking once or twice. Mm. But then after you got your history and he got to take some time, once you and the vet go in with like a licky mat or something like that, he's a lot more relaxed. So he's back to one. So quickly returns to baseline, basically. Cool. All right. All right. I was like, wait, because not everybody knows this one. No, that's very important. <laughs> um, yes. So I guess, and I guess that's a really important thing to kind of talk about too. Like when we're talking about it and, and, and Jordan, and I have talked about this is that it, there's a little bit of a difference between general practice versus specialty. And I mean, specialty as far as like emergency or, um, those consults that take you six weeks to get, (laughs) um, you know, and, and the food part of it and how do we go forward with appointments? And I think this is where working with a general practice is huge. Um, if, if there's a plan, like a handling plan, a medication plan, please communicate with them to continue that medication and handling plan when they go to another place. <laughs> Cause sometimes like, we'll see it in the medical notes. Oh yeah. They gave gabapentin. And you're like, did you give the gabapentin? They're like, no, nobody told me to. And it's like, yeah. Communication. <laughs> our favorite thing in vet med uh, is I create handling plans. So some of the things I give my clients, I talk about carrier training, low stress travel, things that they control. Even if I'm completely unaware of their vet and it's in another state, I'm still going to do what I can Mm -hmm. because of things I see. And obviously I want the best for my clients and the vets. Um, I give them like things that they can do right away. And if I'm working with a vet that is like, I'm seeing a a patient and the patient, I say, I have some observations. I'm going to work with your vet. I work with the vet to create a handling plan if they are not, because I get that handling is a skill. And I talked to a lot of clients and I'm like, your vet's amazing, but handling fearful animals is a skill. And many of us weren't taught that. So I may work with them to create a handling plan. If they're not comfortable with that, I may recommend a second opinion. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. It's just, I can't have you completely undoing all my work and causing severe trauma to this patient Mm -hmm. and not getting the sample. I mean, I'm just being realistic. Like you're not going to get your GI panel. I know with what, (laughs) with, with, I know you can. Like I've done this long enough that you can scruff and stretch that cat. Um, or I had one, I did have one client who saw that and they boxed the cat. Um, and obviously I'm still really, I cried a lot. Like, I'm not going to lie. Sorry to get deep. It was really, uh, hard because we had to undo everything. Like this cat was so, it was, it was rough. Um, so I, I think, well, I think people like forget, like, animals remember. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. The dog they remember. doesn't go in the vet clinic. Like I tell the client, yes. like something happened. Generalized that trauma, the dog yeah. that starts drooling. When you turn down a street, your dog is generalized the trauma at the vet to the car. Some dogs will generalize it to the house. Some dogs will generalize it to you. Like, yeah, it's, but I definitely think again, like I've worked with so many amazing vets where we've worked on handling plans and created that together. Cause seeing muzzle or fractious in a 
that's data for me as a consultant and tells me the staff's afraid of the animal. It literally mm. gives me no other information. Yeah. Like you said, you know, preferred dry blood draw area, medial staphylitis, like the vet clinic I, I go to and work with a lot. We draw, we write, we just do a quick note in cornerstone about preferred blood draw area. Mm-hmm. If we did PVPs, cause like you said, you, as a, especially if you're going to be doing an ultrasound or even more in depth stuff, you want this to be less stressful for the cat or dog. Yeah. Well, and I think this, like, this is a really good thing too, to to kind of talk about is because like, I'll see that where it's like fearful or not even fearful, like fractious. Right. And I'm like, fractious for what? Like, I don't understand what that means. By a car because I'm like, well, if you get, if you come up to me on the wrong day and you're like a jerk to me, I'm going to be fractious with you too. Right. (laughs) And I think like, I love putting notes in our, in our medical records. That's like, go to a quiet room, turn off the lights or, you know, something like take out of the treatment area, um, does not like a temperature taken, you know, all those things that you're like, well, those are triggers. Let's, let's not do it. Um, is much better than fractious. Like. Okay. Helpful. And then cool. for you as a tech or a vet, cause let's be honest, the same tech might work with, like you might work with that patient three times and then I might, which yeah. I think is great, but also let's set each other up for success, man. Like mm-hmm. let's not, mm-hmm. I'm going to write this cat's favorite treat. And for example, like this cat's FAS and pain score was always one. And then like, I have an example where a cat went from it. She was always FAS one. And the second the vet touched the cat, the cat became FAS4. I'm going to be honest. We immediately stopped and we sedated the cat. The cat had a slip disc. I can't tell you how many cases I have like that, where people just, if you're not utilizing that behavior stuff, you might just say the cat's grumpy, the cat. And I'm like, "Mm, there are no grumpy cats, guys. Sorry. That's that's right. There's something. (laughs) There's no grumpy cats. But I have millions of cases like so many of where I understand why the client didn't notice this. Mm -hmm. I understand why the client, like I had a dog who had a bullet in his leg, which was causing pain. And they worked with a trainer prior who was pushing the dog's butt down to teach him a sit, which is, that's a whole nother again. And there was some aggression probably due to pain. Uh, Mm. And we came up with a handling plan. I muzzle trained the dog it was beautiful. And then the dog also got the accurate diagnostics it needed. And it was like this beautiful thing, but this dog was not appropriately examined for five years. Mm. So that's where I'm like in, in ER clinics and in specialty practices, like you said, you book this out six months ahead of time. It's even more important that that cat gets there. Like I can't get the cat in the carrier. I booked this six months ago whoa, guys, that, that's, that obviously we're losing money, which matters. Right. But obviously we want that cat to get the care they need. So I think kind of addressing, like working with the client, communicating with them, like low stress travel stuff, even in the ER clinic, there's things you can do. And to me, it's even more important because we want to minimize stress because more stress means more bleeding. Um, I'm just being honest, like, well, and they come into those environments, like amped up because why are they going to the emergency clinic? Right. They're either painful. They're not feeling good. They're not eating, you know, there's other things. And so their, their fear, anxiety, stress is like, just like from a physiologic body standpoint is already elevated. Right. And I think 
I, and I, and I, and I love my emergency technicians. I do. I swear. I love them, but I think it's very difficult when you feel short staffed. Right. And then you're just, you're just trying to get through everything super quick. And it's like, take a moment. Don't have like your, your treatment area where you have like five cats that are painful and you're trying to examine a cat on this table with like a bunch of barking dogs. Cause everything's barking <laughs> in the emergency, like t- take a moment to really like be present with that animal. And, and I know that's hard. I know that's hard. <laughs> and the I'm like, thing is how I say slow. protect yourself. Like if you're even me, right. I do this for a living. I work with animals that if I move even in an appropriate way, they may lunge because of their past learning history and trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to, when I say check yourself, like if you're over threshold, even if, if I'm over threshold, if I'm having a shit day and I hit every red light and I spilled my coffee, when I draw that blood guys, if you poke anything enough, blood will come out. Cause that's <laughs> some interesting. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think some of it's involuntary, like that cat who's fearful. Those are, in, they can't control that. The tech who's like running around with their head cut off. Cause they're so over threshold. They're going, even if they are skilled, they're going to handle the animal roughly, not even right. realizing it. And that's why I think it's even more important to treat handling as a skill. Like I have various yeah. restraints for animals and I practice a lot in stuffed animals, like happy, happy, relaxed animals. And now I work with really fearful because in my sleep, I could do it. Right. And I think, like you said, in ER, we were only taught that one restraint and it actually causes our job to be harder. We're more likely to be bit. Their blood pressure gets escalated. Like but in our brain, we're like, this is all we know how to do. So it's really important for us to practice handling and treat it more as a skill. So then when you're put in those situations, you just do it and you feel more confident. The cat, a dog are less likely to bite you. So you have less stress. And then of course, guys, drugs, like pain meds, yeah. we're going like, especially in ER, a lot of ERs of course are doing this, but we have to, you triage, right? Let's manage the patient. Let's, let's stop the bleeding. Let's get our vitals, all that lovely stuff. Let's give pain meds, just like at the ER for humans. I'm imagining if you come in, <laughs> I'm imagining they give you morphine and other drugs. I don't know guys, but I'm assuming. Oh, um, I hope so. <laughs> they probably do. I love my human ER people. I'm sorry. I don't claim to know. That's not my world. I know nothing. Um, but in ER med, vet med, like we should be utilizing all these things, but also addressing and managing the pain and the shock we're good at the shock stuff, the pain stuff, not so much. And then you want me to get five rads. And that took 30 minutes, five tax. When, if we did, if we would have done all this stuff appropriately, our rads would have been better, more yeah. accurately, less exposure to the animal, to us. And it would have, I think it would have taken five minutes. So I hear sometimes that fear-free techniques take longer. Actually, once you know the skill set, I can do things very quickly and I can do things with animals. No one else can touch. Yeah. So that's where I think it's just, it, it's a skill set. Like I, my first few times drawing blood guys, it was a hot mess, like tomatoes, parties. <laughs> and, just, and now again, it's like everything else as we do it more, we get better. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, besides fear free, are there other ways that technicians can learn? 
I think there are, so they, there's low stress handling by Sophia Yin, okay. which I know they're in the process because I love Sophia Yin. She's the reason if anyone's familiar with her, unfortunately she's not with us anymore, but she's honestly the big reason I got into like my start to where I am now. Um, and she was talking about working with the animal in front of you and critically thinking with handling. She was like literally one of the first people in the, in the field and got mm. attacked a lot because of it, unfortunately, um, talking about it. So I think they're working on updating her books and things like that, but there's still good resources mm -hmm. at low stress handling, of course, fear free. And then I think just looking into cooperative care as a whole, which is a whole nother thing. Cooperative care is where the animal plays a part in their care. Mm. Um, and they give us consent or not. <clears throat> um, so like my cat goes to her mat. That means, yes, I give her her Adequan injection and then she leaves my cat. I say meds and my cat just comes and opens their mouth. <laughs> and I know that sounds like chaos, but like, just, I'm not saying every one of your patients is going to learn that, but the more you understand these concepts and body language, the better you guys can apply that to the clients and patients that you work with. So I'll def, I probably have other resources, but not off the top of my head. Um, but I will definitely send them. Oh, also the, of course, the cooperative veterinary care book from Monique and Alicia Howell. Oh. Um, it's a textbook. It's amazing. It's very easily digestible, even if you are not a behavior person. Um, so it's kind of like, I, you guys, I don't like nutrition. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> I hate it, but do I stay up to date on it and know about it? Yes. So that's how I am with text with behavior. I get that. No, everyone's not going to nerd out like me, <laughs> but when it comes to handling guys, it's like doing dentals or going over heartwarming flea preventions. It's a need. You don't, I'm not trying to be rude, but like, we don't have a choice. It's part of our job. So yeah. I like that cooperative veterinary care book a lot. Cause it's super easily digestible. It breaks things down. It defines everything. And I highly recommend that as a resource in your veterinary hospital to kind of like just flip around and start planting some seeds. And then maybe you might have a tech that's like, this is sick. I love right. behavior. Let's empower that tech and have them start getting certified in some things and they could teach the rest of the staff. It's like this beautiful, beautiful circle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm also going to say your website. So check out chirps and chatter. Cause I have gotten some stuff from you and I've used it yes. on my own animals. I have some free resources I'm working on. I'm creating dog ones, but right now most of mine are cat because unfortunately you guys, um, even, even as a vet tech, I realized that there's there not a lot of great resources. Yeah. So I was like, no wonder they're getting euthanized and relinquished every five seconds. Yeah. Uh, because even people meeting well, there aren't accurate resources. So I'm working on building those up for cats and then I will we'll be doing them for dogs. But thankfully we have a little bit more accurate science-based humane resources for dogs than we do cats. <laughs> true. True. So cautions. <laughs> We're talking about behavior. I feel like this is a big one. <laughs> uh, watch your face, <laughs> watch your body parts. Uh, I think too, it, when we're just in general talking about behavior, I think some of the cautions too, is just 
and it, and it, we kind of talked about that is the ramping up of patients and and like for Jordan and I right we work in a hospital where they're there for multiple days mm-hmm. and I think all of those interactions like add up right and and I can think of like that patient that when they were hospitalized had to have like a leash on them because they were lunging at the cage door every every time you went near it and then, you know, we have to deal with it for follow-up and now the follow-up we're like de-escalating all the bad stuff of that hospitalization. And then all of a sudden, like at some point he realizes we're not going to eat him <laughs> and he's like, oh, you're my best friend. Right. And so I think that caution is just for me, I think of like, try not to try not to ramp them up because they do remember. Yeah. I think that, I mean, of course, like drugs, 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 right. Manage pain. And, um, cause I pain and shock type symptoms, I think plays a huge part in the aggressive behaviors that we may see in a clinic. Yeah. And then also, like you said, um, the animals that are hospitalized, there's a lot of things we can do in that cage to make it less stressful. Like every cat should have a hiding spot every time. Of course, yeah, I'm going to put last week. Yeah. I I think we can't emphasize like that enough for cats. I I honestly, like, I, I feel like somebody needs to figure this out, but I hate, I hate our hospitals. I like the cages for cats are so ridiculous. Like here's a tiny box that's metal and everybody can see you. And we're going to put your litter next to your food. And you're going to, you're going to thrive. It's like, no, no, that's not how that works. <sighs> you have your hiding box and then your litter box and then the water at the front of the cage. Cause you're doing your best with what you can in that situation. Yep. You have a towel, of course, covering that. And then with cats and dogs, minimizing visual stimuli, especially in a ICU or, um, ER, they're probably painful. So even if they aren't scared, which when you're painful, you tend to be scared. Everything is more sensitive. They are in fight or flight. And when you are in fight or flight as a human, someone can cough and you'll be like, shut the whatever. (laughs) Uh, So with dogs and cats, this is also true. So I'm going to minimize the stimuli to the best I can. Like I might literally be a clothespin freaking towel, like DIY that It might be a thunder shirt. And that when it comes to placing the patient, I'm going to consider if they're fearful, I'm not going to put the cat or dog right near where the door opens. Like I'm going to put them on the other side of the room, little things that make a huge difference that we have control of. Um, having the client bring something from home. I know it's a pain in the ass you guys, but I can't tell you what a difference it makes, especially for cats. And what I mean by something from home, you have to specify your client. They'll bring in a cat scratcher. That's not big enough. That won't fit in the cage. So say a pillowcase smells like them easy access if you lose it it's not the end of the world not that you're gonna Um, oh no i warn my clients every single time i'm like (laughs) i recommend you bring something but just be aware 99.9 percent chance you will never see this again (laughs) i'm just being being practical like bring just telling you how how it's gonna go (laughs) but there's a lot of things that we can have control over and then of course anti-anxiety medications Mm-hmm. If they're hospitalized and that's indicated along with that other stuff, that might be part of their treatment plan. Like every mm. 
whatever, eight hours or whatever it may be, um, you, to me, I consider, so I know I'm different in this way. To me, triaging, I triage behavior like I triage medical issues, right? So like mm. if a cat is like, let's say ripping out its IV fluids is terrified, won't let you medicate it. We want it out of the hospital yeah. <laughs> for lots of reasons. Um, so we need to manage all of that stuff which is where doing all this stuff comes in so they can leave sooner and we can handle them. And sometimes it might be, you know, gabapentin or another drug every blah, 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 again, whatever, based on just like pain meds. So I think we really need to consider mental health a thing. Like if I see stress in a patient, I'm going to tell the client and I talk them through everything I'm doing. Cause I can't tell you how many times, like I saw a pug this pug almost went cyanotic, like during their nail trim, yeah. the doctor brought the pug back to the client. And I'm sure this doctor was not malicious, but I will never forget it. Said the, the pug did great. And to me, that's like hearing a heart murmur and not mentioning it. It's, yeah. it's so concerning. And again, this is where I'm getting all deep behavior kills way more animals guys than heart disease. I'm not trying to be, I'm super posy. I have rainbow hair but we got to be real. Um, so it's really important for us, just like we talk about heart murmurs or, uh, bad teeth or whatever we're seeing on exam, we're going to express your dog's feeling some fear right now. I feel fear at the, the vet or the doctor too. Like I make it fun and I obviously yeah. communicate that. Well, we're not rude or like your dog's bad. I would never say that, but we're, we're saying our observations. Cause also that might be that client recognizing that that dog's uncomfortable and has their grandchild stop jumping all over their dog. Like big, again, right. I'm a big yeah. picture gal. Um, so these things matter. And when we hold them down and they're screaming and we tell the client they're fine, again, I'm getting super deep with this, but we're normalizing fear and that's yeah. dark shit. Sorry. No, it's, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's and then dark. And then clients wonder when they go to another place and they're like, oh my God, your dog tried to turn blue and die. And they're like, well, my primary vet, they never have a problem with them. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How is what? So it's all about open communication, being kind and clients. I mean, we all know this, right? Like Mm -hmm. I am very transparent with my clients and, and the, the vets I work with and the tech, we're all working together. We all want what's best for the animal. I truly believe that, but I can't say like, I don't have issues when I tell a client we're not cutting the nails today, but I provide solutions and I talk about what I'm observing and I don't judge. And I'm very kind and I get, you might not be comfortable having that spiel yet, but like, guys, your heartworm spiel when you first started probably wasn't great. And now your heartworm spiel (laughs) in your sleep. Again, it's the same thing. Like I have a shot collar spiel. I have a declaw spiel. Like these are things that I'm very, very good at, but I also understand why. 10 years ago, the way I would have talked about that, because I went over threshold instantly, even though I was being kind, my face and body language might have indicated something else. So I make scripts for clinics that I work with and we practice Mm. together and then they find their own spiels and it's beautiful. So I, again, I treat behavior like we treat everything else. It's just in the med, in the human world, which we're getting better, but it's still a process. And in the animal world, we don't really treat behavior at, at, like we treat other things. And I think yeah. that's weird. <laughs> yeah. What a great place to end. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's the tip of the week. So we, um, yeah, <laughs> tip of the week. We've got a couple. Okay. So I'm going to say as a, as a veterinary professional, um, slow down, assess the situation, recognize if we can give some drugs and I, and I love it. I, I tell that I want you to say it again. Cause we kind of talked about it. Who do we listen to in the back of our head? Wait, what did I say now? You said Tasha. Oh, Tasha. <laughs> she was asking me about the tip of the week and I told her a few and I was like, drugs, drugs, drugs. 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 I was like Tasha in the back of my head with her beautiful voice screaming drugs, drugs, pain meds, pain meds for all pain meds, pain meds, pain meds, managed, yeah, I- managed, managed. Yeah. If you, if you don't know, we've talked about Tasha before, Tasha McNerney, anesthesia podcast. We've talked about her. You guys know, um, she's, she's the best. She, she is, is the best. I'm very glad that she's back in veterinary medicine. Cause my heart broke when she was not, she was over threshold and she got herself settled. She because, recognized that mad props. I know she had to do. I respect it. Mad props. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got that tip of the week drugs. <laughs> Uh, what was the other tip of the week? Assess yourself, assess the animal. Oh, FAS and pain scores for all. That's a beautiful world to have that would love to live in. Yes. So if you don't know what FAS is, because again, I think that's newer language than what we've been taught. Oh no, for sure. Um, I definitely think that, because that's part of fear-free, um, the, the training. So if, if you have a chance, like, cause you can talk to your boss about getting fear-free training for the, for the techs you work with. Right. And even the doctors, um, but learning about FAS score. And, um, I think that's a good idea. Like having that as part of your assessment. Um, I think we're getting better about pain scores, um, for our assessments, having an FAS score. I think that's genius to have that included in your medical record. Um, I think that's something that, as a profession, we can get better about utilizing, right? And you communicating. Can't write ears back, tail tucked, te- like orbital tightening, which can be pain too. Tension, like all. Yeah. So that's where you teach the whole staff, and even if it's not the FAS scores, a body language score, right. which there's a lot out there. Get everyone on the same page. Educate, support. Don't just throw this to your staff. Right. Oh my God. So true. On the same page, and then, like you said, like. I understand you. We don't have time to describe all that, but we can write. But having it one or yeah, right, right, yeah, definitely. Yep. And now for the question of the week. So, <laughs> question of the week this week is going to be: What behavior tips would you like to learn more about from Miss Tabitha? Because um, Lord knows it's not going to be for me and Yvonne. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> That'll be from Tabitha. We'll we'll make sure we we bug her and harass her and and uh keep listening to her because you know we gotta keep listening. You guys to teach her. me about other stuff. That's the fun thing about that. <laughs> guys, I love you nutrition people, but I hate it. <laughs> but I learn from you and you guys. I love my internal med people and I love the puzzles and there's a lot of things that we have in common. But it's all important and we should utilize each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's a huge, beautiful, I actually miss working in GP because I miss having a team. And I know that sounds crazy. That's one of the things. No, that's not working. crazy. That's, that's your under your threshold limit. So you don't want to kill everyone you work with, with 
redirected aggression because we talked about this before we start recording. Um, so now you're at a place where you can handle other people and hopefully you don't get over a threshold really quickly. <laughs> and if you do, you're aware of it because we're all humans and we can communicate that. Legit. So true. Yeah. So um, I'm going to throw this out here because we didn't talk about it earlier, but if you love Tabitha and you love listening to her, she's going to be, um, she's going to be starting her own podcast, another one, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for some other time, but she's starting a podcast hopefully in February, which is in about a month. And you'll have to let us know when this goes live because I'm very excited, but it's tales of a vet tech podcast, which is get it tales. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you'll have to let us know. And then, um, anything else? Um, I'm still going to VMX if people are going to be there. Oh yeah. What this episode goes live when I'm at VMX. So hopefully I get, I'll be saying hi to some people. Right. Oh, I hope you have fun. I promise. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll be at the Midwestern vet conference too in Ohio next month, which we had a listener reach out to us via facebook messaging and it was the funniest thing um she's like oh my god i saw jordan's name on <laughs> like is it true that jordan's gonna be there and i was like here i go yeah i'll be there i was she's like i gotta have you sign i was like you're ridiculous <laughs> oh my god that's so funny but if you do see jordan please go up and talk to her <laughs> i'm gonna and bring then... stickers and buttons and all the fun stuff so yeah, i'm very excited about that so yeah Awesome. All right. And then Tabitha, nothing scheduled yet this year, right? Because I know you do. Oh, I have a lot of like conferences that I'm speaking at coming up. But oh, you do? Yeah. Local, like local uh, to you or? Uh, they, I'm speaking at the Fear Free Symposium, which is general public, shelter, and vet med. They have different tracks, oh, which I love. And that's then- cool. I'm doing a workshop at HSUS Expo for eight hours <laughs> um, and talking all about cats, cats, cats. And then I know I should remember. Oh, I'm speaking at the Shelter Playgroup Alliance conference, nice. which if that's not an organization people are familiar with, it's amazing. So yeah, I, I should know those things, but. <laughs> um, and I think you have a newsletter too, right? No, I haven't uh, kept up with it. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, there's like some good handouts and stuff that I, that I got. So, um, the handouts are free to download still. And the plan is to start sending more stuff out, but usually I just make free content and I say here, Um, what you you mean you you don't have time for all the bazillion things that you do. I know. What are you a vet tech girl? (laughs) (sighs) All right. Well, go check out Tabitha's stuff and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming thank on and being like the behavior me. person. Obviously we went on soapboxes. It's such a fun party. Soapbox party. <laughs> I, I feel like soapboxes are, um, par for the course for our podcast. So it's yeah. okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, have a great week. Um, have some time to like recognize if you're over threshold (laughs) because you know we all get there sometimes and uh we'll talk to you next time
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.